Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Now here's Pastor Barry. Friends, it's great to be with you this fourth Sunday of Advent. We saw the candle of love being lit today, and uh, we are excited in just a few days to light the Christ candle in the middle of our Advent wreath. I want to remind you that tomorrow night, the 21st, we have a gathering that we call the Longest Night Gathering. And it's an opportunity that's led by Pastor Nancy. And you have an opportunity just to join her and to process uh, some of the losses that you may have experienced this year. Perhaps loss of a family member, um, loss of a job, um, loss of a relationship. And uh, we just want to provide a place at Christmas time uh, to just spend some time with others processing that loss but you don't need to say anything or do anything. You're just welcome to join. The link uh, for that, it will be a Zoom gathering, will be on the website and we encourage you to, uh, to gather and join us. I have some really good news to share and that is that Earl and Ellen Janes are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, Earl and Ellen. Earl and Ellen are special people. They were with us from the very beginning when we were just beginning North Sound Church and have served faithfully in worship ministry and Sunday school ever since. Thanks, Earl and Ellen, and happy anniversary. Well, sometimes my kids surprise me by liking the music from my generation. And it surprises me, because I guess I don't expect that, but sometimes I'll play a song and they seem to be familiar with that particular song. And I wanna to talk to you about a story that I came across recently about a song that apparently not only my generation, but also the next generation may recognize. It's a song that uh, began very early in the morning. Pastor Allen and I compare notes about waking up at 3 a.m. and processing issues at that time and having trouble getting back to sleep. Well, this is a song that began uh, at 3 a.m. And the artist, the composer, uh, is named Mick Jones and the band is Foreigner. That may give you a clue as to where I am going with this. And he says this, he says, I always worked late when everybody left and the phone stopped ringing. But he says, this song came up at 3 a.m. and he said, I consider it, it that it was a gift sent through me. I think there was something bigger than me behind it. I'd say it was probably written entirely by a higher force. Now his band began to work on this song that came early in the morning, but Mick said there was something that was missing and he realized what he wanted to do was enhance it in a spiritual way. He said, in the end, I was having lunch with a guy who ran a gospel music label. He sent me a bunch of albums. One of them was by the New Jersey Mass Choir. And he said, when I heard them, I immediately finished the song in my head. He said, when I watched them in rehearsal, I drove out to New Jersey and it was fantastic. He said, they were fresh. They'd never recorded for a mainstream album before. But one of the descriptions of the development of this song says there was another moment of what seemed to be divine 
intervention, divine inspiration. We, uh, we, we hear from Mick saying this, he says, we got about 30 of the choir, the New Jersey Mass Choir, into the Right Track studio in New York. He said, we did a few takes and it was good, but it was still a bit tentative. So then they all got round in a circle, held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. And it seemed to inspire them because after they did that, we did the song in one take. I was in tears because my mom and dad were in the studio and it was so emotional. But there was one last thing he wanted to do and that was he wanted to invite Ahmet Atigan, the president of Atlantic Records, into the studio. And so one night he brought him in. This is the guy that, that uh, boy, if you wanted to have your song get passed, uh, he was the guy to listen to it. He's the guy that discovered uh, Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin. And so now he got him in the studio and he played him this song. And he said when he got to the second chorus, he looked over at the president of Atlantic Records and there were tears coming down his cheeks. So he said, we, we sat there and listened. And as he said, I looked over in his direction and saw those tears. He said, and the song was appropriately released at Christmas time in 1984. And it rose to number one around the world. I want you to take just a moment. We're just going to play just a little bit of this song. I want to know what love is. That's in the heart of every human being. God has placed that desire in the heart of every human being. And that's why the song was so successful. And friends, that's why we at Christmas time celebrate God's love. The yearning of the human heart is found in that baby in Bethlehem. Perhaps the most profound summary of the Christmas story isn't in the story that we have in Matthew or the story that is often read from the Gospel of Luke, but perhaps the most profound summary is from the Gospel of John, where we read those words that many of us memorized as probably first graders. Those wonderful words in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Mary, Joseph, the angels, the wise men, all of those that, that gathered at one time or another around this child, and especially the baby Jesus, happened as a result of God's love extended towards us 
for God so loved the world. And the Bible is just full of wonderful promises of God's love for us. Let's just take a moment and, and realize some of the wonder of God's love revealed in Scripture. My child, do you know how much I love you? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Every day of your life, I recorded in my book. I laid out every moment before a single day had passed. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Delight yourself in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Cast your cares on me and I will sustain you. For I am close to the brokenhearted. I am always with you and will wipe away every tear from your eyes. If you ever feel unloved, remember, I love you so much that I sent my one and only Son, Jesus, to die as a sacrifice for your sins. Believe in Him and you'll never perish but have eternal life. That's how much I love you. So remember, my child, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from my love. Absolutely nothing. I love you, your Heavenly Father. Have you ever felt the love of God the Father? Some of us may have come into the Christian faith through what we call intellectual assent. That is, we, we recognize the, the truth of the story. Jesus was a historical person, and he was a unique historical person, and either he was a, a lunatic because he claimed he was God, or he was a liar for that same reason, or in fact, he was who he said he was, and the character that we see revealed on the pages of scripture is not a lunatic, not a liar. We think he must be the Lord. And that story begins in Bethlehem, but, but it's more than a story because that baby that came into Bethlehem was the son of God. And he sent his spirit to be with us as he went back to be with the father. And that spirit is alive and we have an opportunity not just to choose by faith to believe this story, but we have an opportunity actually to love God. Have you ever fallen in love with God. I want to suggest to us that our text this morning shows us so clearly that Christmas, the Christmas story, begins with God's love for us. Remember last week we talked about the joy that God had in creation, in creating us. And we need to remember 
in, in this passage that we look at from John that God so loved the world that he gave, it began with God, it began with his love, and we didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to be good. We didn't have to do anything to earn that love, but in fact, he gave it to us. I want to invite you this morning to ponder that love. Sometimes at North Sound, we talk about the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God lives in community, a community of love. And in the context of that community of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the true love that they have between them grows. Love just by nature tends to grow. It's creative. And God created us to share in that love. But we find in the scripture that the, the, the members of the Trinity tended to shine attention on the other members of the Trinity. It wasn't just about them, but in fact, they, they, they glorified, they, they shone the light on the other members of the Trinity. And, and then in the life of Jesus, we see how he modeled God's love. And we read these words uh, in John chapter 13. When he had washed their feet, that is Jesus, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me the teacher and the Lord and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so also you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Love is expressed in humble service. Jesus expands on that. When we talks about how we actually love him, we love him in the context of the love that we show to others. In Matthew 25, Jesus helps us to understand how we love him, how we love Jesus. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Mother Teresa visited a hospice for AIDS victims in New York when she visited the United States. And she said this, she said, each AIDS victim is Jesus in a distressing disguise. Last week, I told the story of Brennan Manning and his wife, meeting a young lady who was a part of the Moonies in New Orleans. I wanna share another story from Brennan Manning this week. It's a story that goes back to a time when Brennan was a part of a, a group, uh, a monastic type group in St. Remy, 
France. And he tells of the conversation that was being had around the table by these uh, monastic brothers. They had, they had taken a, a vow and, uh, and, and part of that vow was to work in very humble places and serve the Lord in that way. But this particular morning, as they gathered, they were complaining about their circumstances. The German brother remarked that our wages were substandard, says Brennan. Uh, they were 60 cents an hour, which does sound even back then um, substandard. He commented on how the employers were never seen in church on Sunday morning. The French brother suggested this showed hypocrisy. The Spanish brother said they were rude and greedy. The tone, he says, grew caustic and the salvos got heavier. And we concluded that these avaricious bosses were so self-centered that they probably were cretins that slept all day Sunday and never once lifted their minds and hearts in thanksgiving to God. But he says Dominique sat at the end of the table and he said throughout our harangue, he never opened his mouth. And Brennan says he looked over at one point at him and tears were coming down his cheeks. What's the matter, Dominique, he asked. His voice was barely audible. What he said was, il ne comprenait pas. I don't understand. Brennan how many times since that New Year's morning, that New Year's breakfast when they were complaining, has that single sentence turned his resentment in his own life into compassion? He said, how often have I reread the passion story of Jesus in the Gospels through the eyes of Dominique Villon, seen Jesus in the throes of his death agony, beaten, bullied, scourged, and spat upon, saying, Father, forgive them where they don't know what they're doing. Once I was at a gathering of Christian leaders and this uh, person that was presenting said some words that I still remember and that is, he said that our particular tribe of, of people tend to be known for their mouths. We talk a lot about the gospel, but in fact, what we need to do is become arms and legs. Might God be calling us to readdress the needs of difficult people in our lives, the obnoxious, the needy, those who fall on the other side of the political spectrum without judgment and with compassion. Well, Brother Dominique's story doesn't end here. At the age of 54, he developed a serious cancer. And he moved at that time into a Paris, into a, 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 a very, um, part of Paris that was stricken with poverty. He got a job as a night watchman and when he got off work at eight o'clock in the morning, he would sit down with a group of older men on a park bench as they chatted together in the morning. These men were people on the margins of society. Brennan says they were drifters, winos, dirty old men who oogled the girls passing by. But Dominique didn't scold them he treated them, he accepted them as they were. He shared his meager possessions, his candy, and he, uh, he, he, after many years of doing this, they opened their hearts and they asked him about himself and he was able to talk to them about the love of God that transformed his life. And they saw his heart and they saw how he loved like Jesus. 
One day, um, they, having heard what he said, they found his witness to be a credible one, and the, the dirty jokes and the comments and the oogling began to cease. One morning, Dominique did not show up at the usual time in the park, and the gang in the park were concerned, and a few hours later, they found him. He was dead on the floor of his cold water apartment in this Parisian suburb. Dominique Vuillaume never tried to impress anybody. He never wondered if his life was useful or meaningful. He never felt he had to do something great for God, but he kept a journal. And his last entry, Brennan says, was one of the most astonishing things I've ever read. This is what the last entry in Dominique Guillaume's journal said. He said, all that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. But the love of God, which he said, I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine, and it would be indecent of me to worry about that. Manning describes Dominique Guillaume as someone who lived entirely for God and for others. His community of brothers had an all-night vigil for him, and they buried him in a pine box in the backyard of the Little Brothers of Jesus community in St. Remy, France. They put a simple cross over his grave, and the cross said, Dominique Vuillaume, a witness to Jesus Christ. And more than 7,000 people from across Europe gathered for his memorial service. Friends, this Christmas season, we need to remember that that babe in Bethlehem is an expression of God's love. And God's love is revealed in the life of that baby who became an adult and showed us how to live before going to the cross to become the means by which our sins are forgiven. He showed us how to live and he showed us to live means to live in love means to serve others. May God help us in this Christmas season to remember those words from long ago that truly it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence, your promise that you live in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that wherever we may be gathered this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we talk about your love, I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that has drawn us to you, perhaps for some of us just a, an intellectual understanding of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus was a historical figure, that in fact he was the Son of God. I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to begin to fall in love with you. And having fallen in love with you, that our lives would carry that lives into a blessing of serving you and serving others. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Friends, I wanna invite you to join us coming up on this Christmas Eve day and then on Christmas Day, we will have a very special Christmas Eve 
service video that you can play anytime on Christmas Eve or anytime on Christmas Day that fits your family celebrations. But please don't miss it. We encourage you actually to share the availability of that video with others so that you can have a wonderful Christian Christmas experience this Christmas, beautiful music and sharing about the wonderful story of the babe in Bethlehem. Now let's be dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore, amen.